tasting, we, um, we meet and greet everybody and make them feel welcome. Oh, what I like most about it is um, seeing the smiles return to me when I'm uh, at the door. Um, I love an excuse to bake. Um, I help out about once a month in the cafe. I would say it's definitely enriched my church experience. It's a great way to meet people, um, to feel a part of the community and to feel like you're contributing something to the church. The thing I enjoy the most about sound is technical challenges, uh, fixing things and getting things right. One of the best things about serving here at BBC is um, getting to know other people. I've been out here at Wired's helped me to develop my understanding of different people and, and different walks of lives that they come from. I really like coming along and seeing these young people grow and who they are in God and being able to go out into the communities and influence others. I've been volunteering with Mainly Music for 14 years. Um, I enjoy it so much. I do Tuesday and Thursday. Um, I've only been volunteering here for a couple of months. Um, I was in music before I came in. We moved churches in here and I just spoke to Darren, the uh, worship pastor here, and I said, look, need a hand with anything? And he said, yeah, you can join us on the team. So, yeah, just decided to join straight away. The, yeah, the best part about being involved in volunteering is just being involved in a family. Having this sort of atmosphere is just so, so awesome and so cool for me to get to come in on Thursdays and Sundays and to see all these people here that I really love to work with. I've been helping on registration now for nearly just sort of over three years. I really enjoy welcoming the families into BBC. It's a brilliant opportunity to meet new families, families that we see every week, all the great kids coming through to church. I think getting involved and meeting other people uh, as we walk with the Lord, it grows us. Uh, it, it also encourages us to, to rub off with one another. You come home from work and you kind of think, oh, I've got to go out to Wired. But you come along to Wired and you always leave here with a smile on your face. And you, it's always a good time. You think, man, I can't be bothered tonight. But you just turn up and it's, it's great. It's really cool. It makes you grow. Um, just gives you that spark for the midweek downs, which is awesome. There's always a like positive environment and it's always enjoyable and everyone's always happy. It's always amazing to come to. Uh, I find fulfilment for myself and I know that others will be fulfilled in different ways. It's a great opportunity to uh, get to know people and to speak to them of, of, uh, of Jesus. Talking about the body of Christ, we're talking about the bride of Christ, and uh, my thoughts went back to the time when I gave away my two daughters in marriage. Uh, one of the most amazing things that a father can ever do is to be able to be there on the day when uh, your daughter gets out of bed in the morning, puts trackies and t-shirt on, gets the hair done, and then with their bridesmaids, they go into the bedroom and they put on this bridal gown and they are totally transformed, and they just look absolutely amazing, absolutely beautiful, and you're a very, very proud father as you walk your daughter down the aisle and uh, give her away to a... Um... <laughs> to the person who's going to be the father of your grandchild. Actually, my, my, my in-laws are in the audience today, so um, I have to be very careful. Lovely to have you here, Barry and Val. Um, well, um, this morning, 
we're looking at the body of Christ, we're looking at this bride of Christ. And I think when I was first a Christian, when I first became a follower of Jesus, uh, in my, as, an, as a young adult, actually, um, I looked upon the church and I could see these people who I immediately would look up to and just admire. And I thought, this is how it works. You sort of got these A-type leaders, you know, these A-type Christians, and then everybody else sort of falls into a descending order, which I obviously was at the very bottom, being a, a new Christian. And I would marvel at people who had given their lives away to be able to go and be missionaries, literally, as I met some of them, in outer Mongolia. And, uh, and then, of course, there were the, the, the Bible college teachers and the pastors and people who worked full-time in some fashion for the Lord. And I just really thought, wow, this is, this is outstanding that these folks would be doing this with their lives. Uh, so I had this sort of ideal in my, in my mind that, a, that there was a sort of pyramid event going on in the life of a church. However, it wasn't long until I started reading Scripture and found that my thinking was actually off target, misguided. Because when you come across a verse like these in Acts chapter 6, you find that there's a whole different dynamic at play. Now, many of you will be familiar with these verses in Acts chapter 6, where you've got seven people being set aside to serve. And it says here in Acts 6, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So all of a sudden I'm starting to see here that this hierarchy thing that I thought had in my head was wrong because we're seeing people here were filled with the spirit and with wisdom. And by being filled with the spirit and wisdom, you think, gosh, they must be the next recruit to outer Mongolia. But no, they were being asked to wait on tables. And this starts to reshape your mind and your imagination about how the body of Christ works. Because we see people with gifts of power and gifts of wisdom being asked to do the most humble task. And in this case, distributing food to widows to ensure that everybody gets their fair share. And so we can see right from the beginning of the church that this hierarchy thing doesn't actually exist. It exists in our imagination, but it doesn't exist in the kingdom of God in any sense in which God would affirm. He sees the body of Christ being a complete unit that serves each other, and to be filled with wisdom and to be filled with power will mean that you are the greatest servant amongst them all. Now, the beauty of this little story, of course, is that it starts to unfold, and we see how humble beginnings are the start of something quite magnificent in the body of Christ. And it says here, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Well, here these guys are waiting tables, and probably the hardest nuts to crack, the Jewish priests were the ones who were becoming Christians as a result of their service, love, power, and wisdom, all together in an act of humility and servanthood as they literally administered the distribution of food. Of course, if, you, if we had time today, we could follow the life of one of these particular uh, 
servants, these, one of these particular deacons as they were known formerly, uh, out into the reaches beyond Jerusalem when persecution happened and we follow Simon the Evangelist and he went off to Samaria where these people were despised by the Jews and yet he went out there and started to share Jesus with them and many of them came to know the Lord. And then the story unfolds even more in Acts chapter 8 with the same bread distributor starts to run alongside the chariot of an Ethiopian eunuch explaining to him the gospel out of Isaiah. And in doing so, the guy says, hey, look, what could stop me from being baptized? And so uh, we find that Philip the evangelist baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. And this magnificent story started from distributing food with love, with power, and with wisdom. So we can see how these days of small beginnings, no matter what it is that you might be doing, God has things in mind that will take you from one place to the next. And so there is no small beginning. There is no less than in the kingdom. It's all about us operating together. Just think of a a huge truck, like a Kenworth truck, an 18-wheeler. If you took the valve out of the tires, only that big, it's not going anywhere, is it? And so all of us are like this. We're part of the body of Christ. Well, I just want to keep on reminding us about how little things make a difference. And Jesus said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will not certainly lose their reward. What's being described here is something uh, quaint. So quaint, we don't use the word so much these days. But the word is kindness. You know, people are supposed to be cool. People are supposed to be persuasive. People are supposed to be charming, influential, powerful. But being kind is not something that you find hitting the front page of our newspapers. But kindness is a gift. It's the ability to be able to put another person first. Now, um, I, I love when we go somewhere and somebody goes above and beyond. You know, We always enjoy that, don't we? We, we go somewhere and somebody's exceptionally kind, even just buying something in a shop. Uh, recently, I've been in the States, and one of the things they do over there is they tip uh, for good service. And I don't know about you, but being a Kiwi, that's just like sort of cutting your own wrist, you know? Um, <laughs> it's, you know, 15% to 20% is the norm. And so if you ever go out for a meal and then you see your bill and then you've got to sit there and add that on, and it's like my great night's just been ruined, you know, because I thought we were paying these people to give us the food anyway. And then in some restaurants over there, if you have more than six people, they put on 18% straight away, and then they still leave room for you to put a tip on. I'm going, you're kidding me, you know? And uh, so uh, another experience we had recently when we returned back from the States, and Michaela, my wife, had uh, twisted her ankle, so she was in a moon boot. When we went to the airport, she had to, be, had to be escorted through the airport in a wheelchair, leaving me to carry 300 pounds of luggage. Literally, 300 pounds of luggage, including that was a ski bag. Um, we're going to become grandparents later in the year, so we found these outlet malls that sell kids' clothes. The child won't need to buy anything till they're at 22, 23. <laughs> but man, have we got a deal for you. 
<laughs> you wouldn't believe the amount of money I saved. <laughs> love that logic. I love that logic. But here we were going through the airport, and I was literally sweating behind, towing all this luggage and, and everything, and I had to have my hand in my top pocket or my bottom pocket, pulling out money because they had this all sorted whereby Michaela was being carried or taken by a, uh, a wheelchair attendant. And in the States, of course, you show your gratitude by giving them some money. And then they'd go through another part of the airport and somebody else would take over. It's just a big ruse. There's, I'm sure there's a wheelchair attendance union and they, they get together and work out how they can maximise their profits. You know, and then the American money's all green and so I'm there sweating away, literally tying this stuff. I didn't know whether I'd given them a five or a 20 or a 50. All I know is by the time I got on the plane, I couldn't afford to be in the States any longer. Yeah, so, yeah. So generosity and kindness, when it comes from somebody's heart, it really does mean a lot, doesn't it? And this is what we're talking about here in the body of Christ, kindness. You know, the body of Christ has room for everybody, and that's the, the beautiful thing about it, is that there's always room for you, even though you might feel that you have little to contribute. You know, New Zealanders have always been really big on allowing everybody to participate. And that's why I think one of our key sports in New Zealand is rugby. And he's, oh, here he is, he's talking about rugby again. Well, the simple truth about it is that when I was a young fella, there was always room for somebody on the team. Didn't matter how tall you were, how short you were, how fast you were, how slow you were, how strong you were, or how whatever you were, fleet-footed, there was always place on a team for you. And even, even now when we look at international teams, we will see that there are different sizes, different builds, yeah, there's a big, big variety there, isn't there, those people? That's actually the uh, South African rugby team. I just wanted to show you that I don't have to think of the All Blacks all the time. But um, here we see the variation of size, and these people can all play at the highest level. Um, this team happens to, be, this happens to be a picture of the 2015 Springbok Rugby World Cup team, the one that lost to Japan. <laughs> uh, so, where's Freaky? Here he is. You want to believe how brave I am telling stories like this? You want to see how tall and big Freaky is over here, eh? I have to leave this way at the end of the service. So. Yeah. So, the body of Christ, and yet we talk about it as a spiritual body because that's exactly what it is. It's a spiritual body. So let's have a look at Corinthians. First Corinthians, as Paul is describing to us this alternative world in which we live. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. So different kinds of gifts. And we're going to have a look at spiritual gifts in a moment. But I read this mythological story a while ago, this myth, because so, somebody in the first service thought it was true. Um, but two Christians were in trouble during the French Revolution, and they were off to visit Madame Guillotine. And uh, one had a great gift of faith. And so he goes up to the execution point, puts his head on the block, and the blade comes flying down, stops halfway. And people go, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And the man gets up, praises God, and the, and the people just cheer and they let him go. It's a miracle. And the next guy gets up there and puts his head on the block and uh, 
the first guy had a gift of faith. This guy had a gift of help. So he looked up and said, I can see where it's catching. <laughs> anyway, different gifts. But here we have the spiritual gifts. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Okay, I love that bit at the end there where Paul says, look, what you have been given is not up to you. These are spiritual gifts that enhance the body of Christ, our ability to be a powerful and prophetic movement within our world. But it's not that it's you who gets the glory for these gifts. God has given them and he distributes to them to you in keeping with what it is that he desires for you. It's, it's not complicated. Because in saying this, there's no envy, there's no jealousy, there's no competitiveness. It's simply a sense in which you have been given a gift, and God has, is, the, is the one who's given it to you. Paul goes on to say, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made of one part, but of many. Now we're going to have a look at this description in a moment of what Paul describes this body looking like. It's not a complicated picture, but the context in which Paul is talking here is very important for us to understand. This letter was written to the Corinthian church, and it is a Greek church. The Greeks had an absolute obsession and fascination with the human form. Okay, you'll see those Greek statues, perfect women, perfect men. The Greek gods all had perfect bodies and looked beautiful in every sense of the word. And, uh, and so here is Paul. He's going to now start talking about this new body, this bride of Christ, this body that is bigger than all of us, and yet it consists of all of us. And it takes all of our imperfections and it puts it together to create a, per a perfect body that God said he would dwell within by his spirit. So just keep that in mind as we look at these verses here. Paul is now bringing a countercultural image of what the church should be. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And so here is Paul trying to create a picture, which I think he does very well are saying, as we are built together, as we are built up together, we're grafted into this, this, this body that 
is called the bride of Christ or the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. But every one of us contributes to it. Now, the interesting thing is we look around the world at the church globally, we find that there are different denominations and they often have a different emphasis, don't they? Uh, you'll find the likes of the Salvation Army, great example of, of Christ working in our community with the poorest of the poor. Their mandate is to serve the poor, and that's their primary purpose. And in doing so, they take those uh, words of Scripture that Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Take uh, the Pentecostal church. They love uh, things of music and worship and the manifestation of the gifts in and out through their services. They're a fantastic representation of the spiritual body alive and active. Uh, Baptists over 411 years now, since the inception, have been a mission people. Go into all the world and make disciples. Do great things for God, expect great things from God. Those have been some of the, the, the taglines that have associated Baptists over the years. And so we've got this body of Christ, even bigger than our denominations, bigger than our churches, and they create this a wonderful, wonderful aroma of life. Now, when we talk about a body, there'll be times in our own lives when we think about our own bodies, when our body's particular parts of it, you will be more aware of it. Now, if you get a stomach ache, your stomach, you know, becomes the center of your attention. How many of you have ever had back problems and you think your whole body just consists of a painful piece of your back? Yeah, it's amazing, eh, how the back, how the back really just becomes that focus point. Um, I, I know when I was a young fellow and I was, I was rowing, um, blisters on your hands were a big battle in the first part of the season until your hands hardened up. And uh, so we'd compare and show each other our blistered hands. The other part of your body that would get really sore was your, your backside of these silly little seats, and we wouldn't talk about that much because we didn't want to show anything. Um, but um, more recently, um, I've been away skiing, and uh, we just had this whole time snow skiing. And my legs, by the end of the day, were absolutely destroyed. I'd get to the end of a run, and I literally would feel my legs, and they'd be vibrating. I never had this before. And they'd be like, shall I get on the lift and go up again? And I'd go... Yeah, and I'd get up and I would, I would be in tears because my eyes uh, were connected to my legs somehow and uh, my brain was trying to say, don't do this anymore. And I was saying, no, but I'm here to ski, you know. I'm here to do this. Um, as most of you are aware, last year I went on, a, on, I did the Camino, the 800-kilometer walk across Spain. And the year before that, I did it with Michaela, my wife, and I did it with a friend just last year. And uh, the thing that you talk about the most when you're on the Camino, before you even introduce yourself to people, is, hey, how are your feet? You walk up beside people and you ask them, how are your feet? They're, ooh, ooh, you know, all this pain. But I, I had this um, excellent experience. Both times I didn't, I didn't get one blister. And that is the absolute exception to the norm. I'm convinced it's because I'm just a little lightweight and I just flip along quite nicely. Uh, but that's the truth. I didn't get one blister. Michaela had to buy three different pairs of shoes over the period of time because her blisters were just a gift and uh, manifesting everywhere. But you'd go into a cafe where all these other um, walkers are, these other pilgrims, and you'd 
you'd walk past people literally with your bun and your cup of coffee, and there'd be people there with their shoes and socks off, with their feet up on the table, pluck, plucking away at their blisters and all their hard skin, pulling it off, and no one was offended, eh? No one was offended. You'd just walk past and go, ooh, nasty. How far have you got to go today? Oh, another 20 Ks? Oh, oh, you'll be right. You know? You know? Oh, actually, to be quite honest, I had this tube of um, antibiotic ointment, which I would just hand out in the hostel at night for people to use. Um, like I said, I didn't get any blisters. But, but people had these, these blister experiences. And um, I jumped on Google, looked at the word blistered feet. If you ever want to see something gross, just look at images under blistered feet. Uh, put your right off your porridge. Um, so... That is quite a reminder to me. I think it's all written in Spanish or French around there. Can't work it out. But anyway, all that to say, when we're talking about volunteerism, I think there's something that we can suffer from, and that's church blisters. As maybe you've been doing something for so long now, the joy has actually run out. You know, you signed up to be part of the children's ministry in 2001, and you're still there. This is the first time in church in 16, 17 years. I'd just like to welcome you today. You've been put away every Sunday into the cupboard and dragged out again the following week. But what I'm trying to say here is that, and maybe I'm not saying it well, is that one of the things that we really try to work hard at in the life of our church is to ensure that we, we have a rotation system where people don't get worn out doing stuff. Yeah, it's really, really important for us because you need to be serving, giving out, and you need to be filled up at the same time. And so for us as a church, we work really hard to find the right fit for people and then allow them to be able to serve in a way that doesn't cost them more than it should be costing them. Does it make sense? Yeah, we're trying to help people. So we don't want to get church blisters because we don't want people just getting so worn down that the experience becomes a negative one. And so I really want to encourage you to sit down with your family or on your own maybe today and over lunch, pull out this sheet that's in front of you and have a good look at it and say, hey, yeah, I can see what the church is trying to do here. This, this, uh, this flyer is kept as simple as possible just so that we can minimize any confusion, but we'd like you to take it seriously and uh, get back to us if you're not already involved somewhere and just see where it is and how it is that you fit in. I think when we look at the body of Christ, we, we stop and we say to ourselves, look, it's, it's a beautiful place to belong, and it has the capacity to run in an even increasingly loving and diverse way as we're all part of it. And so this original blessing that was given to Abraham, he was told he would be blessed, not so that he could just be wealthy and influential. He was told he would be blessed so that he could be a blessing to other people, and that's what church life is all about. There is nothing as powerful and there is nothing as amazing and beautiful as the body of Christ when it functions well. Jesus said, they shall know you're my disciples because you love one another. But we know that that love extends beyond our walls and influences and touches our community around us. And that's what we're here to do, to glorify Christ, to make him known so that people will experience and come and see, touch, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I encourage you into that today. Well, we're going to finish this morning um, with, a, with a prayer. We're not going to have a song. Um, Bono Dono has gone back to Belfast and 
has totally wiped out for the rest of it. He was good. Did you like him? I'm pleased to hear that. That's uh, Eric's, the builder's mum there, making the comment. Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, he was good. So um, we'll let him off for the rest of the day, eh? Why don't we stand and pray? God, we thank you that there are people who have gone before us, who have created environments that allow us to be the church and to hear the gospel of Christ, to be able to hear your word in its fullness and have that shape us and change us. Lord, as we look through history, we see how it is that you've created your church to be that light on a hill. And in being so, Lord, you, you call us to shape the world around us. And every one of us has a part to play. And even though we might not feel that we have much significance to add, Lord, we just know that by being a part of something bigger than ourselves, then all things work together for the, together for the good of those who love you. And uh, we, just, we just want to ask you, Lord, just to, to uh, help us see where we fit in as we maybe go through this flowchart today, that we would see a place and recognize that this isn't about carrying a yoke that's too heavy, but just ensuring that we're all playing our part and, and enjoying the fellowship opportunity that we have here. So I pray your blessing upon everybody. We, we just think of, uh, of people who have served us, and now we in turn just want to be able to help serve others. And Lord, while we're praying, I just want to pray once again for the Plasmire family who say goodbye to their mum tomorrow, Emily. And um, we just know that as people surround them with love, that uh, your spirit will be powerful, that the simple acts of kindness will mean so much to them tomorrow and into the years ahead. So I ask your blessing upon all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.